little bit about surveillance uh, in your experience in in, uh, Quebec, but you came under more surveillance during the 1960s. Uh, what was what was that like uh, for you to be a professor and and then to be experiencing the state coming down on you, which really was not something that America was supposed to do. We sort of prided ourselves as defeating the totalitarian, you know, enemies before, but then you get this directed at you. Um, what was that? What was that like for you? Well, I think the first time I was aware. There were three times that I was aware. I think the first one was uh, the war was it was either just before or just after the Nixon went into Cambodia, and the war was it. It wasn't clear if the war was ever going to really be scaled down, and uh, Franz Schurman, who was like it was somebody like Chalmers Johnson, who started off somewhat conservative and then converted, but he converted over Vietnam and I had a hand in his conversion and I arranged for him to speak on the Sparrow Hall steps against the war in 65. So uh, he was quite anti-war by Cambodian. And he, it was more he, started a little think tank called the Bay Area Institute and uh, it was a group of professors. I, I think all of us were professors. And there weren't very many of us, only five or six. And there was some big thing happened in Vietnam. Let's say it was Cambodia, though I, in fact I don't think it was, something like that. And um, we convened a meeting in which I was to speak about where the war is at this moment. Twelve. I remember twelve people were invited, and thirteen people showed up, and uh, it was very clear who was the thirteenth. He didn't look like a professor at all. I went, and so there was the heads got together. You know, should we throw him out? And I said, Well, no. Let's. I don't care. I what I'm, I I don't mind. And my position always was I really wanted the government to know what I was doing, because everything I did, I thought, was nonviolent and legal. And if the government thought I was didn't know what I was doing, they might throw me out of America, and I didn't want that to happen. So I went over, I said, no, let's keep them. And I went over and said, how are you here? And he said, I heard it announced on KPFA, which is our local Pacifica station, which was obvious nonsense. No, it was not announced anywhere. There was a private meeting. And I said and I said to him something, well, you know, you you know that's not true, but we're gonna let you stay. That was the first time I was aware, but what, twelve? Let's let, I I think we were half that number, but let's say for the sake of argument we were twelve people. Why were we under surveillance? Well, now I know the answer. It's because uh, financially, France set it up as an arm of the Institute of Policy Studies in Washington, which was a very similar group, started by vet- at least one of the people who founded, Dick Barnett, was a veteran of the foreign, U- U.S. Foreign Service, uh, but Hoover didn't like intellectuals, and the IPS was 
the subject of a COINTELPRO, and I'm not going to, you, you know what COINTELPROs are, and I've seen the documents. The Bay Area Institute was also the subject of a COINTELPRO. Uh, so um, I don't know if that really explains it, but uh, that's the context. The second time was, um, and this, maybe this was the first, this must have been around 1967 or so, a friend phoned me and said, when are you going to respond to the German invitation? I said, what German invitation? They want you to address a, a anti-war rally in Germany in June. And here it is, March, and you haven't answered. And I said, I haven't answered because I've never heard anything about it. Well, by golly, maybe it was the next day at the latest. It was the day after the invitation arrived. And the most interesting thing about the invitation was that there was a stamp, you know, they, they, they stamp on the stamps, but I've, I've forgotten the word for it. It had gone via Palm Springs, California, which is very close to a very big, very secret naval base where all kinds of dirty things go on. And I think that's where my invitation had resided all this time. So I accept, I'm just to follow through, I, I don't know how far we should go with this, but I accepted the invitation, and uh, I... With, had stuff to hear, so I cut it very close. I arranged to arrive the day of the speech, which was in the evening, and I changed planes in Montreal, and the big Air France plane that I was supposed to take was cancelled, so they put me on a Belgian plane, and we sat on that plane, for hours until two in the morning, they let us off and put us up at a hotel. I could have gone to my parents, but at the end of two in the morning, I wasn't going to wake them up, so I accepted the hotel. I don't imagine I really was the source for that Belgian plane being on the court tarmac for hours, but seeing that it was in the context of the held up thing, I, I've never been quite certain. I'll, I'll never know. Anyway, so then it was too late, and I didn't go, and part of me was relieved. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe, and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire. 